Uh, why don't we turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We are in our series for the next several weeks called Insecure. We're using some course material from uh, Pastor Dell's course, Get Secure, which is uh, really a Bible study that takes you through uh, the book of Ephesians. And so we're going to be hitting some of those high points together over the next few weeks. Uh, we started last week. Love, if you haven't heard that message, it's a great foundational message for where we're going today and, and beyond. So uh, it'd be great if you could catch up if that's possible. But this morning, uh, here in Ephesians 1, we're going to read this next section. And I'm calling this message, I have hope. Last week, I don't even remember what I preached last week. I am chosen. <laughs> Is that what we talked about last week? It's about adoption. I know what I said. Sometimes I just forget the message. And this week, I have hope. So if you're new with us, you don't know this, we, use, uh, we load all these up for you in the YouVersion Bible app. You can go to more and then events and you can find the service and this is already in there for you. But let's follow along uh, starting at verse 15 in Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. So Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul has written to the church in Ephesus. And so we're getting a glimpse into what he is saying, of course, to that time and that place. But I hope that you can already tell this is a message for us today, of course. What we learn about Christ. But there's another story in, in Scripture that this, that this passage really reminds me of. In 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, the, the prophet Elisha is, is the main character here. And uh, in, in this chapter in the Old Testament, the king of Aram was, was, was trying to attack Israel. And God kept telling Elisha where he would attack from. And so then Elisha kept informing the king of Israel and spoiling Aram's plans. It's delightful. And the king of Aram obviously thought he had a spy in, the, in his ranks and who was telling all of the secrets. But then one of the officers reported that it wasn't, it wasn't from within their own troops. It was Elisha who, quote, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. And so he went, the king of Aram went, and he surrounded the city of Dothan where Elisha was to try to stop him. So Elisha's servant goes out early one morning, and he sees that they are surrounded by the horses and chariots of the king of Aram. And he is obviously quite terrified by this. And then verses 16 to 17 say, Don't be afraid, the prophet Elisha answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of, the horse, of horses and chariots of fire 
all around Elisha. You can read the rest of that story to find out the excellent way that God rescues them from that point, because of course that's what happens. That the eyes, that his eyes would be open to see that there was more with them than were going to be attacking them. I love this story. I always love this story. It captures my spiritual imagination. It makes me look around, like even in this room right now, and it makes me wonder what it is that I can't see with my natural eyes. How much am I limited? It's like so much, I know, but how much am I limited? How much is going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm? And and I'm just not tuned into it. So what a gift for that servant to be able to see the armies of heaven surrounding them, ready to fight for them. What a gift that um, Elisha is able to have the ability to see that so clearly and to trust God so courageously and then to share it with his servant. It's also amazing that, there were, that the horses and chariots of fire were already there. They didn't show up. Like, it's not like Elisha said, hey, yeah, you're right. That's scary. Let's pray and have God come and intervene, which has happened in different stories in Scripture. In this story, those horses and chariots of fire from heaven were already there, ready to do battle. The rescue was already at hand, and it was just a matter of opening your eyes to see what was already happening. Find it so fascinating. And this is the story that comes to mind when I read Paul's words to the church in Ephesus, because Paul prays, maybe you caught this, that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened or opened in order that they may know the hope to which God has called them, that they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, And they would know his incomparably great power for us who believes. In other words, what Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus is that this hope, this inheritance, and this power, they they already belong to us. And what we actually need is for our spiritual eyes to be open, the eyes of our heart to be open, to be enlightened so that we can know the truth that's already there, already surrounding us, no matter what we see with our natural eyes. And that's the prayer he's praying for them. So I'm going to, again, borrow just a little bit here from our guiding course, Get Secure, read you a couple of paragraphs to help us get started into this passage. The desire for real hope is a big deal today. Our humanistic cultures and systems don't give us a lot of hope for better days. The problems in our society and political system are so enormous and complex that we feel powerless to solve them. People's behavior is marked by a sense of hopelessness. Where there is hurt, hatred, broken relationships, and fighting, there are people who feel that there is no hope of things ever improving. So what could change if people had a reason to hope in something dependable and long-term? Everything. Permanent hope is what God offers to a hopeless world. Something solid to trust in and depend on. Part of the good news of the gospel is that when you get to know God, you find hope for the present and the future. Instead of wishful thinking that things may improve, your realistic hope is centered on God who is in control of all things always. The more you learn about God, the stronger your hope will become becomes as you accept that God is in control and fully capable of doing what he says he will. Should I just read the rest of the chapter in the course? <laughs> like, that's... <coughs> uh, I, I told... Pastor Dell, who wrote this course, is my, also known as uh, our former senior pastor of this church, who is also my father. And um, so at Sunday dinner, I was like, I plagiarized a bit. 
I quoted you sometimes. And he was like, I love it. I'm so glad. I'm happy, so happy that we were using. He loves it. He was so excited about it. So, yeah. He didn't do this. If you know him, you know that that's like my interpretation of what was in his spirit. Not actually. That was in your spirit, right? I can't see my dad sitting at dinner being like, I love it. That's me, not him. So, but you understand the sentiment. So what happens when people feel hopeless? They get desperate. Have you ever been there? You are desperate for relief from whatever is causing that for you, for something sure, for something real. When you feel like nothing can get better, when there is no reason to hope that tomorrow is going to bring any relief from whatever you're going through today, what, kind, what does that do to you? Well, for most people, it, it makes us willing to chase anything and everything that might bring relief. You'll chase anything that might look like a solution, anything that distracts from the anxiety or the sadness or whatever it is that we're feeling. And we all sort of choose our own adventure depending on how we're wired when we are looking for a way to deal with this, with this hopelessness. Some of us look for relationships to sort of fill that void. Some of us just chase after success, whatever the ne next success would be. Success would be continually on that track. Some of us look to substances, start to abuse the things around us. Some of us are just, and, and can I just be really honest with you as opposed to how I usually lie to you? I don't know why, that's a weird saying, isn't it? It's a weird saying. I'm going to continue to be honest with you and say, um, I'm, I'm going to say to you what most of us do when we feel sad, anxious, hopeless, when we don't understand what the scripture says, is just a lot of this. I feel something, I feel sad, I don't know what to do with my sad, but Instagram reels are sometimes really funny. And we scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and watch and consume and consume and consume because we don't know what else to do. Hope was a rare commodity in the first century because he's praying this for them too. What those things that they were chasing after made of, might have looked a little different than uh, in this year and this time in this culture, but the concept is the same. And I gotta tell you, maybe this sounds a little hopeless in itself, but this hopelessness that can, is just a part of our fallen, broken human nature um, it, it was the same in the first century as it is today, and it always has been. Hope has always been a rare commodity. In 1843, Karl Marx famously looked at religious people and assumed that this, this whole worshiping God thing was just another empty way of coping with a hopeless world. He's uh, quoted as saying, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world and the soul of a soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. He couldn't, see, he couldn't see that there was anything in this religious expression that could even solve that deep hopelessness. It was just as good as a drug as anything else. But scripture tells us a very, very different story. I hope your life tells a different story. 
that the kind of, the, the kind of insecurity and hopelessness that, that we hear and see in all of this is not the life of a Christ follower. Because when you feel like you are surrounded by the army of the king of a ram in your life, it's all falling apart, and you have to go into survival mode, you don't know what else to do, in those moments, friends, you are being invited to let the Holy Spirit plant you securely in a whole other picture of the story of your life. In a world that is totally overwhelming, I hear the prayer of verse 17 in Ephesians 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Because what happens when you get to know God better? Your heart begins to see things for how they truly are, and it starts to have hope for things on every side, for your past, for your present, and for your future. You are in Christ through your faith in him. So you have secure hope in the fact that you have been called and you're a child of God. We dealt with that last week. And um, if you, again, like I don't usually promote my own messages. It's not because it's a brilliant message. It's because I just, I need you to settle it between you and Jesus. Secondly, you are part of his inheritance and are guaranteed eternity with him. You know, we often talk about the fact that we have an inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ. So that's a, a real thing. This scripture says it differently. It says that we are God's inheritance. Like he's inheriting us. That's how, like, how much, like we're treasure to him. That's the, that's the way it's set in here. And also, thirdly, that we have access to incomparably great power. And so that is, is, is hope. That, all of that gives us hope in redeeming our past because you're already accepted in Christ. It gives you hope for your future and hope for today, knowing that he is working uh, in you and for you and in power. It's just hope and hope and hope on every side of your life, Christ follower. So now, if we're thinking about it like this, in these verses in the first chapter of Ephesians, we are going beyond believing in Christ, which is awesome, but we're now accepting our position as God's child. C.F.D. Mool, uh, a 20th century Anglican theologian, said, this is what, I mean, I don't even say this very often either, but if you're going to write something down, hope is faith standing on tiptoe. Maybe this picture doesn't speak to you. It does to me. I'm five foot two. I spend a lot of my life on tiptoe, and I know exactly what this means. When you're short, you do spend a lot of time on tiptoe. Why? Because there is always just something beyond your natural height that you know is worth looking at. Rob and I went to a concert last fall, and uh, somebody gave us floor seats to the Brian Adams concert at the Odd. You guys, lots of you have been to the odd, right? So floor seats were like, that's amazing. I would, it was amazing. It sounded amazing, whatever. I spent, how long was that concert, Rob? Like two and a half hours. I was like, this. The whole, because we're at the back of the floor seats, friends. I saw Brian Adams two times in that concert. I was like, but I knew there was something worth looking at. There was something worth straining to see just beyond what I was planted on. I spent my, like that a long time on tiptoe. I swear to you I did. 
Being on tiptoe means that you know, you know for a fact that there is something maybe just beyond that fence. There's just something that is worth looking at, worth reaching for, worth waiting for. And so you're looking beyond what you can just see with your natural eyes. And my faith in Christ gives me the confidence then to stretch up beyond what, uh, stretch up in belief, in belief that I'm not just dulling my discontent with religion. I am confident that I am looking into incredible life for now and forever. That's worth standing on tiptoe for. That's what my hope in Christ looks like. Romans 5, 1 to 6, incredible passage of scripture says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has already been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Having hope is so important that Romans says it's worth going through the process of suffering perseverance and character development it's so important that you can it even like encourages you to go through those difficult things because when you do and when you choose to walk through those steps that produces an even more sure hope in us because in that process I mean we could talk about this for such a long time but in that process you learn that your hope really doesn't put you to shame. Because every time you hope in Christ, he comes through for you. Every time you trust him with your life, he's always there for you. And so how much more is your eternity safe? And so as you walk through difficult things, but you choose to trust God, then hope is produced in you that will not put you to shame. And this is not like a, when we say the word hope in English, it can mean a couple of different things. This is not, just to be really clear, I hope and pray. I hope, I hope it happens. <laughs> I hope I get there. This is not that. You understand, right? This is not that kind of hope. This is a hope that is laced with certainty about the outcome. Why? Because we don't hope that someone's going to show up when they said they would. We don't hope that that, that, that job offer is going to come through. We are hoping in Christ himself. And, and we understand more deeply, as we understand like the, more deeply the love of God that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we understand how sure this hope is. Because as the Spirit works in our lives, the truths of who Jesus is, they come alive to us more and more richly. How beautiful is that? Our hope doesn't disappoint because our hope is in Jesus. This, uh, I, rem I remember, of course, when I was working through the book of Colossians, there's such a beautiful Christology uh, talking about who Jesus is and what I was just working again on it this morning. And again here in Ephesians, this, oh, this description of who Jesus is, like that's why this hope never puts you to shame, never disappoints, because it is in Jesus the only firm foundation. Oh, I'm going to struggle to not sing songs right now. <laughs> I felt it in the room. I felt it there. I felt it there. I felt it. There are some people. There are some people. I'm going to just keep going. 
And, in, uh, and if you're new with us, I do weird, I, I used to be a worship leader back in my old life, and um, everything is a song in my whole life, so I, I just work hard to stay on, on track. This passage that we're in here goes on to strengthen our footing, that, all of, all, that we have hope in all of these things. In case we ever forget, in, in case we ever forget, Scripture reminds us over and over again that this life we are experiencing is not because of something we've done or something that we've accomplished. It's because while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And this Jesus Christ, he is no ordinary man. Going back again to that first chapter of Ephesians, I just have to remind you again that that power for us who believe is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Say this next part with me. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus can't, don't. He is the son of God. This is who we are talking about. He is the only one who could do this work for us. The only one worthy of the place that he now sits. He's the only one who has the authority to do all of these things. It's just Jesus. Jesus is head over everything for the benefit of the church. And all of this, it says, is for our benefit so that we could live in hope every single day. Because as the church understands that he's the one who fills everything in every way, that he is totally in control, that we are his body, the living, breathing expression of him, we live this life in total security. It is well with our souls. We're going to get back to that one. We're going we're gonna to come back to that one. So here's what I want to emphasize again. I don't, I don't assume you missed it the first time, but please uh, bear with me. I have to tell you again. This hope that you have in Christ is already yours. Paul does not ask for you to be given hope. He does not pray, Lord, give them hope in you. He says, open their eyes so that they would understand the hope that they have already been given like Elisha's servant, that their eyes would be open to the spiritual realm. And I just need you to understand, if you are living in a hopeless way, if you feel burdened and pressured and you feel insecure and anxious and all of these things, and you believe in Christ, I want to tell you this hope already belongs to you. And the prayer for you is just that your eyes would be open to the fact that you do not have to live under that burden anymore. Because you're, you have hope already in you by the power of the Holy Spirit that allows you to stand on tiptoe and see all around you in the spiritual realm things to come, but also this incredibly, incomparably great power for today to live this life in Christ. That's already, that already belongs to you. I'm excited about it. Because I can't do that stuff by myself. I just have to tell you. So what does it look like to live with hope? I mean, a lot of things. Let me give you a couple of examples. How do you know if you're a person who lives with hope? Well, the first thing is that you are changed by the fact that you have been called and made a chosen child of God. If you understand that, you put your faith in Jesus, it changes your life. 
Your identity is found in what God says about you. Your self-talk is aligned with the word of God. You ask the Holy Spirit every day to transform your life. Uh, you realize that you can't handle it, but he absolutely can. You are a chosen child of God. Secondly, if you're a person who lives with hope, you live your life with an eye on eternity. You're living your life a little bit on tiptoe. Every decision you make, you think about kingdom values, not just what feels right in the moment, not just what the culture tells you. You think, what aligns with the kingdom of God? This is the stuff that's going to last forever. You don't react out of fear or worry, but you move forward with confidence. Not in yourself, but because you know that you are cared for. Your time, your finances, your relationships are committed to God because you know that you are investing in something eternal. And that's where your inheritance truly is. And so you, you, that's the filter through which you make decisions in your everyday life. If you are a person who lives with hope, you depend on God's power every day. You notice when you're relying on yourself and you're trying to do it alone. I just want, I want to pause there. I know what this is like for me, but I want you to think about what that looks like for you. What does it look like for you when you know that you are trying to do it all by yourself? I get a pretty tired and overwhelmed. That's me. Anybody else in that boat? Yeah. You might have a different set of circumstances. I don't know what that looks like for you. But you do notice, when you, when, you, when you learn to depend on God's power, you also learn to recognize when you are not depending on God's power, when you're trying to do it alone, when you're exhausted. You ask the Holy Spirit to help you. You ask him to use you. You ask him to give you the strength you need. You ask him to be present in your situations and to give you the gifts that you need for every interaction. Remember those amazing gifts of the Spirit we read about, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, there's so many places. The Holy Spirit has so many gifts for the church. You're humble about your abilities, but you're excited to see him working all around you when you depend on God's power every day because you know it's not up to you. I prayed that on the way to church this morning. No, maybe I was walking the dog this morning. It doesn't matter. That's a not important detail right now. The, I, was, I was walking around and I was just like, God, I just want to say this to you, not that you don't know it. I'm saying it to you as a declaration. This is your church. What I preach or what we sing or what we say or whatever, like that's, that's like use me however you want to use me, but this is your church. These are, these are your, this, this, like we are yours. So do with us what you want to do. The fourth thing is that if you are a person who lives with hope, you share hope with the people around you. This one's vital. You actually truly believe that the life you live in Christ can't be kept only to yourself. You have to share the good news that people don't have to stay in their hopeless predicament. Because that happened to you and you want to tell other people about it. That you want to tell people that they can move from a position to a position of secure hope by choosing to follow Jesus. And you find ways to let that hope in you spill over and influence others to make the same life-transforming decision that you have made to follow Jesus. And this can only happen, this sharing of hope can only happen when you truly believe it for yourself. But I got to tell you, even if you just have a little bit of, the, of your eyes, the eyes of your heart opened, even if you only believe me just a little bit this morning, I want to challenge you to share even this, I mean, I know there's no such thing as a measure of hope, but you know what I'm saying. Share the little measure of hope that you have with somebody else, and I promise you it will start to grow already on its own. 
When we share our faith, when we, even if we don't know all the answers, we don't have everything all figured out, what we do have, we share. God multiplies and multiplies and multiplies in our life. I promise you that that hope goes deeper and deeper and deeper in you as you tell other people about it. It is absolutely worth standing on tiptoe to see what's available to you. Come on, Adam, bring your team. It is worth standing on tiptoe to see what is available to you in Christ and what's promised to you for eternity. If you are feeling hopeless today, I just want to invite you. Come on up and, and like come, come on and look over the wall with me. There is so much that is already there for you in Christ. There is so much already there for you in Christ. And so because of that, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us to believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I pray for us, church, that our, the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we could know this hope.